Greetings, everybody, and welcome to another installment of Innovation Crush, recorded right here at WeWorks Podcast Studios in Century City, California. Uh, We.co slash crush if you want to find out more information about that. Um, and in the meantime, if you guys haven't tuned into the show, uh, we cover all things innovation, ideas, creativity, smart people doing smart things. And I think I have one of the smartest in the room. No, don't say no. You can't. You're not allowed to. You you have to humble yourself. Um, uh, Scott Kajia, say hello, Scott. Hi there. You want to get a little closer to that mic, Scott, so I can. Uh, I mean, I can. I, you look beautiful. I just wanted to hear how beautiful you are. <laughs> yeah, man. Okay, that's good. <laughs> so, um, I guess for starters, if you don't mind, give me a little, a little bit of the the one hundred and one. What's the? And I know there's no abbreviated version of your life and career thus far, but um, what's the what's the, the the small length version of it? Probably the most in, influential, most important is I I started a small advertising design office in Tokyo, Japan. And I moved over there as a, as a decision to want to travel. And then I'm, you know, Japanese ancestry. And it was really important to, to get to a culture where I was part of the majority. It was, it was mm. eye opening to, to, I could, it really made me understand my Japanese side of me better. And then also my Americanness, how yeah. different I was. I wasn't completely like a Japanese person. Japanese national. So I was in this kind of odd limbo, which became an advantage at that time because I wasn't, I was subject to those normal Japanese mannerisms. And I could, I could be a little bit more, uh, I would say, uh, break the rules and so forth. And, and it helped a lot in, in especially advertising design. Yeah. Did you realize helpful. the power in that, like at the time, or did you kind of like you, you sound like you went when you were young and you, to travel? Like you had this whole secondary initiative in your head. Not in the beginning. I right. thought, wow, this is really difficult and it's yeah. not working well. Then it, it started to change. At some point, it, it became the you know it hit critical mass where it became a positive, a big positive. And I think there was an evolution in the Japanese culture as well, where they were it was going through a big boom period. Right, that was what uh, between the mid eighties, early nineties, it was booming until what it, it, it hit the, that Lehman shock, but it was booming and everything was possible. And there was money was being spent on everything. And that was when they were buying all the buildings in downtown right. LA golf courses all over the U S and then, uh, so everybody had all this excess capital, to try new ideas and they were open and, uh, that yeah, that's kind of how it was, and it became yeah. And then, like from from what I understand, like I mean, you had a, an amazing journey over there, opening clubs, launching fashion collections, Indian motorcycle. Um, you know, what would you say is, I guess, your crown jewel accomplishment there? Yeah. I, I think the most it, it, we didn't even have an idea what would happen, but we started this club called Tools Bar. It was in Nisha Zabu. And it became this iconic destination for anybody who came into town. And it was a dive bar we, because in that, in that time, we became like the first DJ bar. We had, every night we changed the DJ. And we had a line every night outside mm. for a few years outside to get in because it was a small place. And we made it very accessible. It wasn't The cover charge was very minimal. It came with two drink tickets. We had the system where you got in, you paid the low entry fee to, at the door. And then you got two drink tickets and we always had a cool DJ and a lot of those people came big music producers and famous DJs. And 
Give us some names. Uh, well, for one, you know, <laughs> you, you probably know who Fujiwara Hiroshi is. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he was DJing yeah. there. and Oh, my gosh. Yeah, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of different people like that. And some people from here. Uh, we have a paint uh, on the door. Uh, Jean-Michel Basquiat painted uh, some some illustrations on the one of the doors inside. Yeah. And Keith Haring did his crawling babies across uh, a certain part. So those kind of people would come through. And, you know, we were able to connect. We connected all globally. Where we, there's a club network, so I used to meet all the other owners from New York. And, you know, we would travel around to go see all the other clubs in Paris and Thailand and London, you know. And the big club scene was New York yeah. at, at that time. So we would, you know, it was, it was fun because we were kind of, everyone knew us and we knew them. And, so I'm going to get into what you're up to today uh, pretty soon. But what what would you say you identified as your superpower? Because you've done a lot, right? And, and we'll get into it. But um, what's that one thing that Scott brings to any situation, any business, any, you know, creative environment that nobody else has? I don't think there's something that nobody else has. I think there it's it's inherent in certain people. But I think I approach everything through kind of a design sensibility like the design is really important to me because I was advertising design and so we're so the visual it's probably the visual which I kind of flipped into being that artistic edge whatever it's I've always seemed to get along with the designers and the creators and and uh artists it's easier for me to to converse with the artists and I I used to do some things very similar to what you're doing here where I would all the kind of embarrass yourself. Well, no, <laughs> as much as possible. You know, you got to be a fool first, and uh, I think that's kind of how the approach is. I'm kind of really particular, visually particular. I would probably say, and that's kind of driven. Always been something inside of me. Yeah, and uh, so I approach it kind of everything kind of visually. That that's probably where it starts. Yeah. Uh, that's great. So when I, when I think taking that as sort of a, a, a nucleus of how you approach things, um, tell us a little bit about taboo because it is massive mm. and it's mm. just starting and it's only going to get more massive. Right. There's, it's actually taboo gave birth to two other companies that I'd like to talk about as well, because they're all related, but taboo's Vancouver based and, uh, we're, I could, what we're going to do with Taboo right now, we, it's going to list on the Canadian Stock Exchange probably in a couple months. And it's, we're gonna, we decided because of all the big boys up there, we decided to be a dispensary specific. And also we'll have our own private label CBD line, right. Taboo CBD, which is more, more for global distribution. And uh, we're also, uh, so it's going to be, well, CBD. We'll have our dispensaries, and we're also going to take an investment in a extraction lab here in California. That's pretty great. Yeah, so we'll do that. So, you know, when you and I first met, what, maybe a, a couple of years ago now, or a, a little over a year, um, this was kind of, seemed like it was just paperwork, right? <laughs> it was like, oh, a, it was a thought, and it was just like, oh. Yeah. Um, and so when you look at the cannabis industry and Canada, um, which newly became, the legalization was there, you were kind of ahead of the curve in in just identifying this as a business opportunity. So, um, what were some of the things that you saw? Like, what were the writings on the wall, if you will, not the Keith well, Harris or the. There was a couple of things that that happened that were parallel 
uh, these friends of mine were one of the largest nutritional supplement companies in, in the world. Rexall Sundown, uh, Jim Iragi, and Carl DeSantis. And we were discussing one day uh, CBD products, something to, to look into. And then when we, we started, actually, I started, was we were trying to do an energy-related company up in Vancouver. And we were started to put this small pipeline and a small oil-producing uh, facility into contract. And we were going to investment bankers and pitching the idea. Mm. And they came back with us. This is a few years back. They said, we're not looking at energy, the energy sector. We're not looking at mining or tech right now. And I said, well, what are you looking at? And they said, we're just looking at cannabis investments. And so we said, hmm. And then right at that week, somebody calls us and said, hey, we have a cannabis project. Do you guys want to join up with us and discuss it? And that just flipped the model. And right. We were talking to a big, one of the most influential investment banking firms, and they had changed. They were looking into the cannabis sector and already had started investments. And, and that's when Canopy and Aurora, those those mega companies were very small still. Yeah. And have taken off now to be, you know, $25 billion market caps and so forth. So that's how, that's how it started. And then segued into meeting other Canadians who were interested in investing. And that gave, uh, if I may divide this up, there's basically three main verticals I'm operating in now. And one is uh, a company called Next Green Wave. Mm -hmm. And that's already listed and it's, it's really going well. Uh, uh, Lee Hughes, Paul Chow are the founders, and this guy Mike Jennings is kind of the cannabis doctor, six straight cannabis cup winner, rock star. And that project is. What does it take to win a, a cannabis cup? I, you know, that's really a good question. Because <laughs> I never like, won a cannabis cup. Like a shovel and some water. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. I don't know. No, it's, you, you have to have the proper genetics, and, and it's tested, and you have all this competition. And I never figured it out because the judges are all smoking weed, and they're like, I said, I would ask a judge, hey, how can you tell the difference after, you know, three or four puffs on this one? You got to try that one. Right. So to me, it's it's kind of, uh, I'm unsure of exactly. Yeah, there's, there's, some, there's some questionable criteria. But like, if, obviously, there's some methodology yeah, of picking a, a winner. It has to be something. In, right. The, for, to win that many times. Right. You have to really, it has a lot to do with the genetics. Yes. And so what's interesting about, um, so there's taboo. Uh, NGW's Next Green Wave. And what's interesting about uh, Next Green Wave is we're trying to be super premium. We are going to be super premium. Cannabis is smaller, mm -hmm. has about, there's a 35,000 square foot ground up beautiful facility. That's the con construction's finished. We'll probably go to first crop will be out about June of this year. And uh, I think what's, what's really innovative is that we've licensed some genetic new technology mm. which allows us to not use seeds and uh it's basically uh it's i guess it's just like it's cloning okay and so you know it's this this company is the innovative multi-billion dollar company and we've uh, we've been allowed to license it for cannabis so we're really fortunate that's i mean that's super cool have you been able to see that process and and or 
you know, I think when I, when you, you hesitated yeah. a little bit on the word cloning. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. um, it's, it's kind of sensitive. Yeah. It's a sensitive it topic. GMO and everybody gets to this negative stuff. Yeah. But, but the world, you know, the world really, um, I think the world really needs it because it's going to help the, the, the food pool and, and it's, it's improving the quality of, of those fruits and vegetables that they're, they're, um, they're across the board. And, uh, as far as, as far as working in, 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 in human benefits, plant and animal benefits, you know, the whole, they, they do everything. Right. And so I think that's, that's, what's important. And it's taking the, the, the good innovation there and applying it to, to different, like to cannabis and it streamlines the process and it allows us to use less. We don't need soil. Right. You don't need, you can save space. It saves time. And, you know, says you, you get a better organism. Well, and I think part of this entire industry, it's a perception problem, right? Or a battle of perceptions, yeah, right? Yes, you yeah. got you weed smoking hippies and you got like, well, oh, actually, yeah. this is a viable business, especially when you think about the medical implications exactly. and and the sustainability efforts yeah. that you're mentioning is like smaller footprint, less water, all these other things. Um, and I think when most people hear about the cannabis industry, they don't think about that, right? They think about the dispensary that may have opened up in the neighborhood or, you know, or the crime that may have happened or, or not have just the, the perception issue. Yes. Um, is there anything in your pipeline that will combat, you know, perception and, and help educate people on the entire process? Cause you guys are going from like farm to farm to customer. table. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, farm to table, farm to table, but no, if you if you look at the, the the companies in Trexon, and they, if you look at their board and you know PhDs and Harvard lawyers and all that kind of stuff, and and they're they're licensing to the cannabis industry, right. their technology, and so you it's changed dramatically, hmm. and and it's especially uh, the third vertical I'm involved in is a company called Blessing LLC. That's basically purely a CBD oriented company. Mm-hmm. You know, it's out of Texas and we're probably the largest, how would you say, uh, CBD extraction or top three probably in the United States, our footprint as far as uh, isolate and distillate and providing. And then we have a, a private label wing. But I think that that uh, is a different vertical. But you see all the, it's important, I think, that myth where people are taking the hemp plant and people thought THC, CBD, marijuana is all the same thing mm. but there's a completely different products here right and so you see the other fortune 500 companies pharmaceutical companies beverage companies all the major companies coming in the industry now it's a big crossover uh when does the lobbying start no, i'm kidding <laughs> endless I, well i was thinking about like you know at least in the united states right like because in, in canada it was across the entire country the legalization but then in the u.s it's so individually regulated uh was it 13 states i believe right now yeah, um I, I think it's going to be a third a third and a third where you know there'll be a, a third's everything a third's probably medical only and a third's probably nothing right and and, and is that something that you'll, you know, you guys plan on participating in, right? And as far as like governmental relations and, and helping to, uh, I guess, selfishly in, in a way, broaden your scope of possibility. Um, but also just, again, that education, that whole throughput and the power that you guys will have as with size um, could mean a lot of other changes. Absolutely. We, you know, 
I'll 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 try to attend as many of those uh, politically related meetings as possible. I did attend one for the state of California for the uh, cannabis bank with the secretary treasurer of California and a lot of the politicians. It's a different world for me, but it's very interesting yeah. and it helps. It really does to find out what's going on and what they, what they don't know and what they do know. So there's a lot going on here. Well, finally, you mentioned just kind of like going into uncharted territory, um, which you, it's, you've done a lot of throughout your career, right? You go from, you just move to Japan, like, and then you start advertising there, and then you start a club. Like, it's, you, there's this sort of like venture and curiosity in, into the unknown. Um, one thing I wanted to ask as far as taboo goes, what was one of the bigger learning curves you had? Maybe there was a surprise that kind of like, oh, I didn't know I was going to run into that as a problem or an opportunity or something that jumped out at you. as like, oh, this is, I, I didn't expect this. You know, I, I don't think there was any, there weren't any kind of difficulties being in Canada. There was a lot of opportunity. And I think that, um, I think the difficulty was. In, in all the markets, whether it's California, Canada, we deal in Colorado, Texas, Oregon, there, there is that initial, I guess, everybody finding out what's, what can be done and what can't be done, what's legal and what's illegal. Because e each area is different. You know, like yeah. Canada doesn't have any, the edibles are still not coming to market, you know, and there's, a, there's not enough dispensaries yet, but you have this reputation, have these big, financially wealthy entities there that are kind of dominant in the marketplace, but the infrastructure is still not built out. Yeah. So it's different. We're, uh, but I don't think there's, I think that's the education and also doing your due diligence on what really is legal or illegal. Yeah, and it's all. It's also very. What's gonna What's gonna happen to drug dealers? <laughs> it's like, a, and, and I, I asked that jokingly, but part of me thinks like, you know some bad people may some bad hombres. I was gonna say that that's not right. Um, but some bad people have made some, you know, a lot of money and a living and, you know, ter they're territorial. Um, but I think there also has to be some ingenuity on that side of the, you know, the coin or there will be, I won't say there has to be, but there will be some sort of either they're going to change their sure. product pipeline or they'll, you know, go to Texas or go to California and then go home to wherever they are. I, I, I don't know if you've touched on that in any way, but just kind of like the balance of what's illegal and what's, what's legal. And you know, it's, that's a really interesting point because we talk about it a lot in that the, the gray market, it's called the gray market or the black market still exists. And people were very much afraid in talking to those kind of people, they were opposed to legalization. And uh, because of course they thought it was going to, it affect their market and what's happened is it doesn't seem to have affected the market because there's so many so what's happened is the price has gotten more expensive with all the taxes mm. so then you have the the gray market we could sell under under that price point and that's one and then the i think the export out of those legal states were is the big market the prices that they can get for the gray market outside the legal states? Yeah, and that still thrives. 
That's that's pretty crazy. Good luck on that part. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then as far as as other territories open up, like you mentioned when we chatted on the phone about exporting to Europe and just other, not just U.S. and Canada, but like around the world. Um, how are you keeping tabs on where those opportunities are or going to be? You know, because it's, it is such a mass market opportunity, but you also have to be very strategic and calculated, and you know, and and smart about your moves. Exactly. That's why we've gone into typically taboos doing CBD. It's much, much easier to, to deal in the CBD. And, I, and it's our belief that the CBD market is, is far, will far exceed what, what the THC market is. And, the, and blessing uh, basically is strict only, only uh, CBD. Yeah. And, and I think that's, that's, that's what we've identified in. We have some projects outside the United States now. Um, uh, we created this brand, uh, Canna Primo, and that's for uh, the Mexican market. Mm. But after meeting with them, we decided to make it a global market. So that, that will be taken globally. Uh, you seem pretty relaxed for all this work that's in, in front of you. What's your, what's your uh, how, do you, how do you maintain this zen? Through it all, because because <laughs> most people are like, and then we got you know, like it's it seems daunting, right? Like especially in your startup, like it's a it's a young company, uh, but you know even if you visit taboo.com, which I uh, uh, suggest you guys do, but it goes from taboo.ca. So, my my apologies, taboo.ca. <laughs> um, but you know you've got artists, there's an artist program, there's you know market analysis and risk assessments and all these things. But you know you're here in all black and just chilling. So like, what? <laughs> um, how do you balance like the the massive nature of what you, what has to be done and your own sort of sanity? I think what you find is, and and you guys probably hear as well, it's it's the team you create. So one of the one of the most important things I find is that one plus one has to equal three. That that my whole team or the people I work with is I enjoy talking with them and I, I can get, when I wake up, if I want to call somebody, it's like, if you wake up and you don't want to call that person and that they shouldn't be on your team. Right. But if you wake up and you say, wow, I, I, I look forward to talking to them and you, you could find renewal and more energy. That's where that one plus one equals three happens. It's like you get more energy from being together with them right? as opposed to not. And, and, and look for that in creating those partnerships and all those companies, and then it becomes very powerful. And I could, uh, it's non-stressful. Yeah. It's, not, it, it's basically stress relieving to go, to, to go ahead and want to see those people or meet with them and brainstorm. Uh, we talk about that a lot too, with just with building innovation teams, and that like we forget that there's a human connection to the whole process of b- building a business. You know, we can look at the, the the resumes and the numbers and go mm-hmm. like, oh, that guy has done this, so let's have them do this here. But you're talking about this really like an emotional attraction in a sense, you know, um, uh, to the people that you're encountering on a day to day basis. So, what kind of traits? do you look at like what, re- what kind of traits resonate best with a Scott Kajia, you know, in, in that regard? It, it's a basic important human traits that we all need that, that I think that, that in caring individuals for one, caring about each other, really simple things. Uh, also dynamic, but caring 
humble, but dynamic still. Uh, I look for those kind of things that uh, concerns, similar concerns sometimes about the environment, where we're going. All those things matter. It's those basic human things, goodness, you know, respect. Uh, and it's good irreverence at the same time. Yeah. You need that kind of cutting edge, that edginess at the same time. So it all blends together. And um, I think I always look for, for just kindness and goodness. And then, of course, intelligence and drive. Well, I guess I'll put my resume back in my bag. <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> no, that's uh, it, that's great. And so, you know, because I, I think a lot of us, we make those decisions based on what the goals are, not based on what the connection is. So I'm, I'm glad you, you brought that up. Um, and I think when you talk about irreverence, uh, which is also this idea, you said it earlier, be, not being afraid to be a fool first. Um, tell us how that shows up f for you on a day to day basis, because I, I think when you are first and you're a trailblazer and, you know, this is one of the largest companies that I know of that's kind of playing in this space. Um, there are going to be mistakes. And I won't call them failures because the, I think we over glorify the sense of failure, but this idea of mistakes and just kind of like, let's try something and see what happens. But tell us about your brand of this fool first uh, strategy. You know, <laughs> I, I think what's happened sometimes is when, when you have so much going on and you cannot watch over everything, and, and my, my feeling has always been, it's not in the product or what you're doing that becomes a distraction, that becomes somewhat of a, of a failure. It's, it's more in that there were mistakes made in the team. Hmm. And, and, and it's like a, any successful, look at a sports team, like look at the Rams, how they were when they changed the coach and now they're, they're winning all the games or the Lakers before LeBron James got here, Yeah, you know. So it's, it's, it's that team, I think, that I always look back and I think was, there was the, the it, that was the wrong person or, it, it's not the project ever, because you could fix that project. And it's, it's always been, I think, my regrets have been that the team's been a little bit off because of certain, certain players. And it's, it's really hard to, to extract someone once they're on the team, as opposed to adding someone, it's really easy. Oh yeah, and and it gets harder the bigger your company gets because then you've got protocol and you've got you've got all these things and so you have to go through this feedback loop and there's things that you need to follow um, in order to get that team right. And there was a guest previously who once said, "Every any problem at any company is a people problem." And you know, so and uh, so how do you if somebody is performing less than and uh, and I I know you're at the apex of this, so you're probably like a very um, equal team in terms of uh hierarchy i guess uh how do you go about giving feedback constructive criticism <laughs> you know <laughs> hey joe i didn't like what you said yesterday um is it like a lot of three stooges slaps or is it more like what's that communication style <laughs> no, it's like you should change your clothes you shouldn't be wearing that <laughs> just like that. i don't like that shirt no, i'm not like that I'm just like, right it's like that did you shave out. yeah no uh, it, it it's typically um, I don't get involved in too many, you, you know, HR kind of thing. I, sure. I just stay away from as much as possible. <laughs> that's just not my thing. Right. I, I can't say you're out of here. I, I just cannot do that. Well, 
not not so much like you're out of here, but like I you know, like I didn't like the way you handled the the meeting, you know, or I don't want to I don't want our company to be reflected that way, or you know, maybe something oh, in your personal life so is showing you bring up. That up because yeah, we good, just had that talk today. We just this morning I had a an issue with somebody, and I and one of my partners I told him, look, this is not re- told any kind of we can't be represented like this, and it, it had to do with somebody in the company and uh, just the way they carry themselves. And, and uh, I, I don't want to touch that because so I, I let somebody else do it. Right. I, that's just not me. So they were judging the cannabis cup. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, so um, one of the things that kind of jumped out at me, uh, you have a degree in social ecology, which I have no idea what it is. Um, but an additional study in theology. So what, what was your game plan going into school? Um, and Why did I do the, what, Yeah, what like, what, you know, did, did you have a plan? Like, what, what did you plan on becoming? It wasn't, it, it was not like you're going to become something. I never thought this is what I want to be. It, yeah. it's, it's not that. I was going to, uh, after college, I was going to go to, I applied to go to this theology school in Switzerland. And I, uh, and I got a response back and I could attend there. So I, but I thought I had to study French before I left. And, uh, so I went into a a summer course. And then while I was at that summer school was in Northern California. And my dad at that time was living in Northern California, the Monterey Peninsula. Mm. So I was up there and then I was going to San Francisco a lot. And I met some other people there, and I just made a, a career flip. And I said, well, I don't know if I really want to go to theology school in Switzerland right now. And I take I was going to a different theology school for a while. <clears throat> and then uh, my path changed, and I got off into business. And I became a, an entrepreneur at that point right after college. And I, and I'm it was a good decision, I think. Um, I have to feel it was a good decision. So far, so good. Yeah. What, um, what was that first business? I manufactured ice cream. Hmm. Yeah. So I was very really critical because I love ice every, cream. Like every time I talk to you, first of all, there's like a new no, like no, layer, no, no, a new flavor. <laughs> there's yeah. a new flavor of Scott every time. No. Yeah. All right. No, no, so you started an ice cream manufacturing. I started a, an ice cream. There was a guy in San Francisco that always, he was a great guy, character in Noe Valley, uh, Bud's ice cream. <clears throat> and so I started a franchise of Bud's ice cream here in Southern Cal. I did that for a few years. And, uh, it was one of the, before the ice cream boom was a yogurt boom going on. And I was the ice an ice cream pioneer. Yeah, you, you kept it OG. Like you, yeah, of course. Get this, this TCBY <laughs> stuff. <laughs> um, no, that's great. And so, um, we were talking a little bit about this uh, yesterday, the sense of curiosity that kind of carries you from place to place. You know, in my case, it's almost to a fault, right? Like, oh, that looks shiny over there. Let's go see what that is and play in it for probably too long. Because um, there's no linear path to the things that, you know, you've, you've been involved in other than this a designer's mentality. Um, but what keeps you curious and interested and what has kept you curious? Like, how did you gravitate from one thing to the next and, and know that it was the right move for you? 
you, I don't think you know it, it, it's right. Uh, like all that, all these these verticals in, in the cannabis industry, which it's CBD, Taboo, Next Greenway, Blessing, you know, all these verticals that we have, it, it was basically um, an evolution. And, and was I thinking it's the right move at that point in time? You never know until you're in it, until you're going and, and you're feeling the positive response, you know, because ultimately I'm always, I'm never satisfied with something, no matter what it is. So there's always think, thinking there's something else to it and there's something, there's a deeper meaning or something. And uh, so I think that dis dissatisfaction or eternal angst, something that I have, in, that I feel all the time that kind of motivates me and I'm not sure what my uh, happiness or what is actually where, where I'm driven or being driven towards, but I'm kind of figuring it out now. It takes a long time to figure mm -hmm. out what you think should happen in your life. And I'm, for, I'm really thinking about, I mean, I'm an outdoor person. I mean, I, I, I love the mountains and skiing and fishing and hiking, backpacking or wherever, and I feel most comfortable some outdoor situation, mm -hmm. whether it's by the ocean, mountains, somewhere. And I think that's, I feel myself gravitating to more of those spots where it's the city's accessible and the business model is there. But I, I'm really feeling myself now, I think in the next year or two, I'll set something up in a remote area. Hmm. It's more think tankable, right. something like that, where I could be the base where I could just chill. I could still conduct business, but I could just chill and not be in a we work space. <laughs> I, I think you, you touched on something together. that I've been thinking about lately is kind of just honoring all these different sides of yourself, right? The angst being part of it. And sometimes like, I, I, you know, personally, I've been in a position where I'm like, I don't want to feel the angst, but I, but it's kind of what moves me. It's driving you. Right. Like, it, right. so it's, it's a weird duality because I don't like it's uncomfortable but you, I think you have to be comfortable with the idea of being uncomfortable. And Absolutely. So it's, it's a little meta, uh, but it's, it's also hard to manage sometimes, right? Like, sometimes it is because you're feeling, why, why, why is that I'm so unsatis unsatisfied all the time? Why is it I want to change something all the time? And then it, it's that co internal conflict. And you have to find that balance where I could be comfortable and find, find moments of uh, peace whatever. And, that, and I find that being outside of the normal environment of the city, getting mm. out in, outside the city yeah, as much as possible. I, that's what I do. I'll get outside and then, or be outside. And, and that's where I find, uh, so I'm kind of driven for that and to stay physically fit yeah, so I could participate in outdoor activities. You want to do a push-up contest? Sure. How many, how many you got on you? <laughs> how many, how many, how many can you knock out? Oh man, I'm not a big. <laughs> you don't want to brag. I could do. Uh, I, <laughs> I was part of a group uh, last year. Oh, we, what is it? we had to do 300 a day. Oh, I can't do 300. Well, no, in a day. So it was, I would break them up into six sets of 50. Yeah. Actually, it was first of like 12 sets of 25. <laughs> I could do 50 at a time. Six, yeah, I could probably do. Yeah, I mean, if I have to push it, maybe 75. And one, you can keep up. Nobody's going to actually yeah, check. You can you know, just. You could have. You could have said 200. I'm keeping. I'm keeping fit. You're like Rocky, just one, one hand in them. <laughs> um, so, you know, I guess 
if you had another crown jewel in your career, I, I'll, I keep thinking about the Indian motorcycle, but like, is there something you go like, this is, you know, outside of taboo, um, the thing that was most satisfying despite the angst and feeling like it's not done? Mm. You know, right now, I, I feel like I've, all the things that are happening have the, the, the three major projects and that I'm involved in right now. And there's a couple others that we haven't spoken about that I really like, the, the battery project. But um, I feel really comfortable for some reason because these, all these, they have it, all the entities have an energy of their own mm. and they're, they're going and they're successful and they're really taking off, like really taking off. And it's not because of me. And I think the things that really are a paradigm shift or make, can help you make a difference in society and culture they they tend to you're just a catalyst and a, an assistant to it yeah and and i'm just i'm just but it is it. kind of but it but I, I mean i would argue against that i would say it is partially due to you i mean you're a piece of a puzzle but an important piece of a of a puzzle you know yes that w- it, without you being there would that hole be filled eventually sure and that's that conflict though where i i i want to step back and say you know i'm nothing the nothingness. Right, right. I reduce myself to nothing and maybe I'll be happier. Yeah. So it's not because of me, but sometimes it is because of me. Yeah. So I, I, it's that whole conflict. Yeah, step back. It's not because of you. Just shut up. You know, yeah. Get out the way. And right now, if you have a, a good alliance and everybody understands that, and it's, it's funny, we don't have any big ego trippers, you know, like even on the board at, at Taboos, outstanding people. Right. But just transcendent. Yeah, you know these guys are rock stars in in their own fields, and like Matthew House, and he had the biggest merger and acquisition. He did the bird, biggest merger and acquisition in the history of Australia. Mm. And uh, you know Chris Campbell is a in the cannabis industry is a super well respected, you know, leader. And so those kind of people, and and everybody's really like, they didn't do it. They didn't do anything. And it's almost like you take a good. <laughs> Because I wrote this down, you know, um, I wrote down the the phrase design tells a story, right? And I think most storytellers never quite feel complete. You ask any filmmaker, I, I just wrote a book and I'm just like, oh, I should have said this. Or I wanted to say that. Or you ask anybody who's in a creative, like a true creative craft, they go, uh, they never, they never feel like it's done. Right. Yeah. And then there's the balance becomes done is better than perfect. And so like, all right, well, it's got a ship or you just up against the deadline. Um, do you in any way consider yourself a storyteller? Um, no, I never approach it as storytelling in any way. I think I think. I think. Uh, mm, yeah, not a storyteller at all. OK. You know? I disagree, but, but, (laughs) but, um, so as we wind down, right, the show is called innovation crush. You've seen a lot. You mentioned the battery project. I do want you to talk about that before I get into this last bit. So Mm. tell me about the, the, the battery stuff. Well, it's, uh, it's quite, quite come far, uh, quite far along now. It's, it's, uh, it was resurrected out of the U S military Chrysler Mercedes project many, many years ago. Dr. Frank McCullough is the principal of it. And we have a, 
a NASA work order to provide uh, a, a prototype batteries for the Mars rover. And then we did a presentation for Boeing. Mm-hmm. And we were supposed to supply prototypes for Boeing. And it's far, far more efficient. It's a green battery, uh, carbon-based, no lithium-ion. Uh, its energy uh, capacity is much higher. It's lighter. There's no heat buildup. So it sounds perfect. Yeah. Uh, I think we're close, very, very close, because we're going to present. Uh, I think this summer, the prototypes will be ready to go for NASA testing. And Frank's uh, in Houston, right by NASA, so they drop by all the time. Yeah. And very good relation there, relationships there. And they like him, and they believe him. And we had a conference call with Boeing with seven PhDs, battery division. They, they grilled Frank like crazy and they said, <laughs> man, that guy is smart. And so I, I kind of- Wait, he got grilled by NASA and came out with like- No, oh. the Boeing. Guy. Oh, sorry, so Boeing, yeah, yeah. Boeing battery division. And they were grilled, uh, grilled him. Still, and yeah. They, and, and they go, whoa, they called back the next day and say, that guy's very smart. And uh, so I think it's got a good shot to make uh, an impact. And it's not to, to, the project is not to make batteries, to, but to supply the inside of the batteries. Mm. And it's all carbon-based. And I think it's going to work. Uh, we'll, we'll find out this summer and uh, after uh, Frank gets the prototypes done. Do you enjoy the education you get on all these industries as you enter them? Oh, it's fascinating. Yeah. Yes, I do. No matter what, what it is, some little from this side, to, uh, I, I, somehow I, it, I embrace it and whatever it is, I love it. Yeah. yeah, I do. Um, well, speaking of which, what I was going to say, uh, the show is called Innovation Crush. And I'm curious as to what's out there that you currently have an innovation crush on. It can be Ikea just announced that they have a robot uh, kitchen that they're testing um, or it could be a cuisine. It could be something you saw on the way here to the studio at WeWork, we.co slash crush. Um, what, what do you see out there that you currently have an innovation crush on? Well... Man, that's a, I haven't thought about what the what my crush is on on that, but um, I just think right now, which I always come back to when you're talking about innovation, and I I, I think there's 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 so many there's not one big thing. I mean, I think the this battery that Frank has is is, is fantastic. Sounds phenomenal, yeah. I think this is really important, and there's a lot of interest. I've set up some meetings for him to meet with some very important people to come in to help maybe on the finance side or, or, or a lot of things are happening right now. So that, that is, is I think can make a difference for the environment, especially in the storage side. Mm. So we have wind and solar and storage is a problem because we could use a lot more energy. We could store a lot more if we could store it and it doesn't, it's not properly stored. Right. So we can, they have to go off the grid for a while or they can't, the wind, the wind turbines can't turn, mm. mm-hmm. you know, because it, it's a capacity issue um that's one thing but i think i always think about that and you were asking me the other day about about innovation and what i think and i think it's almost interpersonal for me Mm. to just keep innovating innovating myself that if i keep myself tuned you know my radar my personal radar gets developed more or my spiritual radar keeps continuing to evolve that i can make better decisions and instead of turning left, I'll turn right because that's a better decision. Right. That puts you in that proper orbit. And in that proper orbit, you're going to run into people 
that you need to meet and Absolutely. to succeed. And then it's all about being in that in that orbit and getting to that level. And I think more, much more happens. That's why I think I've been in the, the last few years, I've really been in the orbit I should be in. And things have happened so much easier. Like I, it, it's almost effortless to have these projects come to fruition. Because I think it's probably me, I've been somehow started to fine tune and figure it out. And, and I'm just going right now and, and stuff just happens. Yeah. Uh, I feel blessed. I, and I 100% believe that there's a magic that happens like in tandem with real innovation, right? Because mm -hmm. there are 10,000 ideas that pop up on any given day from any given person. I was like, or a, team, a group yeah. of people. Um, but to see that idea or those thoughts become a real thing and a viable longstanding thing, like that's beyond a lot of our control. Right. And it is that human connection. Great things happen when the right people come together or if you're just, you know, like you said, tuned in, your radar is tuned correctly, yeah. um, you know, in order to achieve a, a significant level of success. Um, but thank you for coming. I, you you kind of you, you cheated a little bit because I always ask people, I go innovation to me is and I haven't complete the sentence, but you already said it, what it was <laughs> for you. I guess I don't know. <laughs> whatever, man. Now you're on a downbeat. If I guess I don't know, whatever. Oh, yeah, 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 you know, you know, you know, I mean, you know, you yeah, know. yeah, yeah. Basically, you know, what I'm saying, <laughs> I, you know, we got these batteries. You know, what I'm saying, I'm going to right, Canada. Man. You know. <laughs> um, where can people find out more about? I don't know. You got so many things going on. What's uh, let's go taboo and and next green wave? Like, uh, where any destinations you wanted to point people to? Oh no, I mean taboo.ca is always you can come in and see what we're doing. Next Green Wave is totally innovating right now with its own genetics. I think that's gonna really take off uh, you know, with the with its licensing and the team there, top level team. And then you can't uh, but the funny thing is the blessing group is somewhere it's like a horse race and all of a sudden I, I didn't know, but in probably a matter of the last three months, we've we've I, I can't even tell you what the size of uh, the scale of what CBD is right now. Yeah, it's just beyond belief. Well, that's, and that's the the other thing I was I wanted to touch on. Um, and just as a food for thought, I'll leave with the audience. But the amounts of time that you've mentioned just throughout this interview, it's like three months, six months. Like nothing's like three, five, ten years. It's like these short span, like these short bursts. And you know, and I think part of it is you can only really see that far down the road, realistically. Oh, yeah, don't um, you think it's a, it's the compression of time. Right. Everything happens so much faster. Mm. We're in a period, I think, where you know we always say business at the speed of thought. Right. And it's the it's it, it, you don't have time to. Or, or not that you don't have the time, but I think the scale and what happens now is, is so much faster. Yeah. People are more adept. Yeah. Well, thank you, everyone. This has been another installment of Innovation Crush. I am Chris Denson at Densonology on all your social handles, and we will talk to you next time. <laughs>